Hey there, I'm Heather Mulder, a former AmLaw 100 partner who, just five years into my legal career, found myself teetering on the edge of burnout. Instead of becoming yet another burnout statistic, I decided to redefine success on my own terms, enabling me to build a profitable legal practice while navigating the challenges of two kids, the 2008 financial crisis, and a battle with breast cancer. What I learned is that you can build a successful legal career without sacrificing your health or personal happiness. And I'm now on a mission to help lawyers do just that. Join me each week for practical, unfiltered advice on how to successfully navigate the challenging legal market and succeed in both life and law. This is the Life in Law Podcast. Well, hey there. Welcome to episode number 20 of the Life in Law Podcast. This is Heather Mulder, your host, and I'm so happy to have you here with me today. So today we are going to talk about a topic that comes up a lot in my coaching with private practice attorneys, and that is how to sell without feeling sleazy. And it's interesting to me how many attorneys really don't like selling. So a couple of things before we get into today's episode, okay? I want to impress upon you that if you are in private practice, the number one way to take control over your practice and frankly your life is by building your own book of business. This is why I've covered client development three times already on this podcast, and if you've missed those episodes, I highly recommend you go back and listen to at least episode number 13, which goes through my specific client development blueprint, the exact framework that I use to build a profitable practice, and it's what my clients use to build their practice. And it's very tailored for you so that you can figure out the right strategies to use, etc. But there's more to it than that. Because you have to sell if you're going to build a book of business. And most lawyers, I find, really don't like selling. They feel like it's slimy or salesy or sleazy or they just feel awkward or uncomfortable doing it. Sometimes they worry that they're going to make a fool of themselves and somehow say the wrong thing. And so they just don't, (laughs) okay? But if you want to take full out control of your private practice, you need to learn to sell. Because part of building business means selling. And make no mistake, marketing and selling are not the same thing. And that is something I talked about uh, back in episode number four when I talked about 10 common client development myths that hold too many attorneys back. So if you haven't listened to that episode, I highly recommend that you go back and listen to it as well. The other thing I want to say is this, and this is to all of you who are not in private practice. You might be saying, okay, well, this episode isn't for me because I'm not in private practice. Or maybe you are, but you're early in your career and you don't have to sell yet. Or you're not even sure you ever want to make partner. Okay, that's fine. Maybe you're right. But I do want to make a note here because most of us sell every single day, okay? Now, Certainly, we're selling in our personal lives when we're selling our ideas, right? We're trying to get people to do the things that we want. But even if you're, say, in-house or you're in a government position, oftentimes we're trying to sell ourselves or sell our ideas and get buy-in on things. And so that is selling as well. And so I think the first part of this podcast might help you in doing a better job of it because there's definitely a mindset that you need in order to advocate on behalf of yourself and your ideas. Because when you think about it, at the end of the day, that's a lot of what selling is. It's self-advocacy. And so you may still want to listen to at least the first half of this podcast because we're going to get into the mentality around that, the mentality that you need to adopt so that you can feel good about it and actually do it on behalf of yourself. All right, so that will be part one. We're going to get into the mindset stuff that's specific to you. 
part two of this podcast is really going to go step by step into how to have a sales conversation. That feels good and does what it needs to do. It actually sells, but it also gets the information you need so that you can sell adequately, so that you can determine if you even want to sell before you start doing it. And that will also build a trusting relationship from the outset with with the people that you're trying to sell to, okay? So if you are in private practice, you're definitely going to want to stick around for that. And you might think, well, I don't need a sales conversation script or whatever. It's not exactly a script. It's kind of like a framework that you're going to want to listen to and figure out how to fit in your business and how you sell and you know who your clients are within that framework. And I do think it's going to be very helpful. It is also helpful for pitch scenarios as well. Because we all, well, not all, but many of us have to go do bigger pitches. And I will get into how to utilize the framework for that as well at the end. So definitely stick around for that. Okay, so let's start at the beginning. Let's just start with what is selling. So a sale is the exchange of goods and or services for money or some other form of consideration. Now, there's nothing really wrong with that at all, right? It's only bad when you're trying to sell somebody on something they don't need or you're doing it in a way that's dishonest. So if you can help somebody, you want to help them and you know what you'll help them do is worth it, is worth what you charge, then there's zero reason to feel bad about it. Now, I think we all tend to think of, you know, the used car salesman and let's be honest, we all know that there are certain partners or shareholders out there who are a little more obnoxious in their selling techniques and somehow they're very successful with them. And we just kind of, it, it, we gag at that. Right? <laughs> I had a conversation earlier today with a client around obnoxious selling techniques and just proactively saying things like, you need to be sending me more business. Well, that's not what I'm really talking about because I think that's a little overly pushy. But you can be very direct in a way that is softer that feels better. And that's what I want to get into today, okay? Get away from the slimy feeling of the sales carsman, you sales carsman or the obnoxious partner that you don't want to mirror. And start thinking about how you can sell by serving through service, okay? Because there's nothing to feel bad about from that. So, what this means is that servant leadership is the number one quality you want to have. And to take on that kind of mentality, that mindset, you want to be asking yourself these questions when you want to sell, when you're talking to people about things that you can help them with, right? Why am I doing this? And how can I help? Like you come at it from how can I help them? Why am I doing this for the purpose of helping, of serving, of doing for them? Also ask, what result do they want that I can help make happen? Get specific about that. And get real about it. That makes you feel good about selling them and what what you're doing and providing for them. And then also ask, what's the best way for me to do that? When you answer these questions, you ask these questions of yourself and you actually answer them, then you're going to be coming at it from a very different mentality, a very different perspective that is very service-oriented. And you're going to feel good about that. Now, couple of things here that we do need to address before moving on. This means that you've got to feel good about what you're charging. This means that you've got to feel good about what they have to give up. So 
If you're a private practice attorney, that's primarily what you're charging, what they have to pay you. If you're in-house and you're trying to find buy-in on an idea, on something you're advocating, you need to be honest with yourself about what do they give up? What is the risk with this? What it, you know, what is that? You want to be honest with yourself about that because you want to address it, right? If you address it, then you're still being very honest, open, ethical, etc. And you can feel good about what you're doing. Now, a note about fees, <laughs> because fees are a tricky issue with most attorneys and most of our clients, right? And at some point, I do plan to talk about billing and maybe some alternative ways to bill because you don't just have to bill by the hour, but I'm not quite there yet. It's just something I'm thinking about. So if it's something you really want, let me know. Be sure to, there's a link to a survey for those of you who want to give me ideas, be sure to, you know, click on that and let me know because maybe I'll get to it even sooner if enough people want it. But here's what I've learned. Don't charge more than you're worth. Don't charge more than the market will pay either. So you got to be really honest with yourself as to whether you're doing this. And it's pretty clear if you are. If you are always marking your bills down because you're charging too much according to your clients, then it's time to start getting more realistic about what you should really be charging. So this is something that I actually did back when I was practicing law. I had different types of work that I did. And based on the work that I provided, I had different rates because the market was different for each. And some of it was a lot more complicated and more risky. And it demanded a higher rate. And the market was fine to pay that higher rate. But there, were a, there was another market that I was in where I needed a lower rate than my that regular rate that the, the firm considered my rate, okay? And so different clients had different rates based on the work that I did for them. And as a result of that, I collected close to 100% of what I billed. Now, I didn't always collect 100%. If you're collecting 100%, no questions asked, you're probably not billing enough, <laughs> okay? And it's a sign that you need to start moving up with the market. But you should not be drastically reducing all the time. It's very hard to feel good about selling if you are not behind, fully behind the rate that you're charging or if it's project-based billing or flat fee billing, whatever it is that you do, if you are not 100% confident and behind what you're charging people for the work that you're doing, it's going to be really hard to sell. So make sure that you've been honest about that and that you've adjusted it accordingly. The other thing I would say is you need to be able to stand fully behind what it is you're offering. Now, whether this is you in private practice on trying to, you know, um, get a new deal or a new client or a new litigation matter or whatever it is, right? Or whether you're in-house and you're trying to sell an idea. You need to stand fully behind it. And what I mean by that is, if you're leading the charge on this, you need to have the knowledge. You need to have the expertise. Don't go selling something you can't stand behind, that you can't do, okay? Or that you don't have others to do on your behalf. And I do see this a lot. Attorneys, you know, get aren't as busy as they want to be. And so they try to sell things that they don't know very well. And so they don't sell very well because they can't stand behind it. And that is definitely slimy and sleazy. So don't do it. Now, that being said... This does not mean that you can't venture into new areas. You can't pivot. You can't expand because there are times when you do need to pivot and expand. I definitely needed to do that within my practice. 
So for the first five years of my career, I primarily did energy lending and middle market lending. And then I moved over to a new firm and had to learn how to do structured finance and um, securitization work. And then the market crash happened and I had to completely pivot. And I did do some structured finance, but that work was very limited. And so I had to go into a new area and I decided to go into ABL. Now, when I did that, I didn't go out and sell myself as the expert in ABL. Instead, I partnered with people within my firm who'd been doing it longer to, you know, work on things for them and to prove myself to myself and to others and to learn what I needed to learn. And then I expanded. So there are ways in which you can do it and feel good about it. Just make sure you're doing it the right way. You need to be able to stand behind what it is you are offering, okay? And that also goes for you if you're in-house and you're trying to sell an idea or a project or something. Make sure you can stand behind it and that you are ready to do that work, that you are ready to um, – and you have the the knowledge, the expertise that you need. And if you don't, you know people you can go to. All right, so that's part one. Adopting the mindset – This is a general kind of mindset that you need to adopt in order to be able to sell and advocate for yourself and the ideas that you're putting forth. Once you have that, if you are in private practice and you are trying to actually sell people, it is really important to have a framework that works for you, almost like a script for having sales conversations. And when I say script or framework, I don't mean step by step, you know, exactly what to say. It it is really more of an outline or a framework to understand because there is psychology behind how to sell in a way that feels good to you and the other person so that they don't walk away with, as one of my clients would say, with a bitter taste in their mouth, feeling like they've been overly pressured and feeling like you're not the right person. The point of having a framework is to do the following things. And these are keys to feeling good about selling, by the way. So this is why you want this. Number one, you want to set expectations at the outset. Make it really clear why you guys are talking, what to expect from the conversation that you're having or the pitch or whatever it is you're doing, and, you know, what's going to come after that, right? Number two, so that you can get to know what they need, what they want, And determine whether and how you can help them. And determine whether you even want to help them. Let's be honest. We don't always want everything that comes our way. Number three, to allow the other person, the client or potential client, to ask questions and get an idea of whether you are a fit for them with respect to this new matter. The other thing I would say is if it's a new client, somebody you've never worked with, this framework will help them to get to know you and your style a little bit more okay and then finally to establish trust by showing them that you are an expert how you can help them and that you're honest and direct with them so the key then is to be open direct and honest that's how you're going to end up selling with confidence with ease and without feeling slimy or awkward and in a way where they're actually going to feel like you've helped them already as opposed to just you're selling them and trying to get their business. Before I get into the specific framework, you can use this framework and massage it to work for you in practically any sales situation. So I challenge you to listen through this, write it down, and then figure out how you can utilize it in, you know, when a client calls you for a new matter. When a referral calls you, 
When you're at a networking event and somebody says, you know, I've got something I might want to come to you about. Can you help me? You can also utilize this in sales pitches. Now, not step by step, but you can utilize some of these concepts. And at the end of this, I will go through kind of how to utilize the concepts within this framework, within the sales, the formal sales pitch scenario. All right, so let's get right into the actual framework for having a sales conversation. So step number one is to set expectations. So this is a really simple. You want to say something to the effect of the point of our conversation today is to determine how I can help you and get all your questions answered so that you can make the best decision possible for you or your company or whatever it is. You can tell them I'm going to start by asking you some questions so that I can determine what's going on and whether I can help you. If I believe that you can, I'll let you know and give you some guidance as to how. And at that point, you'll have a chance to ask questions and we can discuss next steps should you want to move forward in working together. Something as simple as that. Now, that's not exactly what you're going to say every single time. It kind of depends on how it's happening, right? Is somebody calling you out of the blue? Has somebody scheduled a conversation with you? In which case, what I just said probably works pretty well. Is Are you at a marketing event? You know, you may start off a little bit differently of, okay, so I understand that you're interested in talking to me about potentially working together. How about we take a couple of minutes and discuss it? I'll start by asking a few questions so that I can determine what's going on and whether I can help you and we can move on from there. And then you can go into the rest of this, right? So this is going to be a little bit different depending on what you do, who your client is, and where this comes up. But you always want to set expectations. And there is a point for this. You are telling them, look, I want to help you. But first, let's determine if I really can, right? So this establishes trust, okay? This establishes kind of a really great foundation for a potential relationship in the future, regardless of whether you take this work on or not. Because sometimes it's not the right work for you at this moment, but you can set this up so well and go through this process so well and it starts with this foundation of setting expectations that they'll remember it and think very well of you and come back to you later on with something that is more relevant that you can help with. So the first step is to set their expectations. The next step is to be a detective. So basically you're just going to ask questions that allow you to get the knowledge you need to figure out what's going on, whether and how you might be able to help them, and whether you want to help them. You're going to want to ask specific questions that get to the heart of what's going on. And there's a lot of questions I'm about to tell you, and some of them are going to apply, obviously, every time. Some are going to vary based on what's going on. So you're going to have a couple of key questions that you're always want to get answered. And then based on what they're telling you, you're going to want to ask some follow-up questions. So you start with, you know, what's going on that made you reach out to me or that makes you want to talk to me or, you know, whatever. What's a good question? You know, get it started. Ask them, you know, why they want to pursue it. What, you know, what's the reasoning behind that? What's their desired outcome? What have they done so far to address any issues that have come up, right? Or to, you know, in thinking about what it is they want to do. Have they done anything already? It's always good to know to, to know that, right? What challenges might they be anticipating? Have they thought of anything or, do they, or is there anything they're worried about? What other information should you know as you get towards the end of it? So those are the kind of questions you're going to want to be asking, asking them. And note that you're going to have one or two that you always want to ask. Like, what's going on? What made you reach out to me? 
Um, why pursue it? What's your desired outcome? Those are obvious questions that you're probably always going to want to ask. So have those in your toolkit. But these other questions are probably going to come up at sometimes not at others. And it just depends on what it is they're bringing to you. So don't get too salesy here. Really think of them as though they're already a client and you're really having a first meeting and you're trying to get the a quick lay of the land so you can determine, you know, overarching strategy, like big picture of what you want to do, because that's the point of this. Now, there's a couple of things to remember when you're asking questions. And then when you follow up through the next few steps, you want to make sure you use their language. Okay. This is a psychology thing, because we often as lawyers get into legalese, And we don't use the language that our clients or potential clients are using. And this is a tip for working with your clients too. As they utilize certain language that means certain things to them, you want to actually utilize it when you're talking to them. What that does is it establishes even more trust. It shows them that you are really listening to them, that you get them, that you understand them, okay? And if there is language that they're using that you're not sure what it means, you need to ask. Never assume anything. Assumptions are going to get you into trouble. So ask good questions, listen intently, use their language. All right, your next step is then to summarize. Once you've asked enough questions and gotten kind of a big picture summary of what's going on, you want to summarize back to them what you're hearing based on what's going on, what they want, what challenges they think are going to be presented, etc. Okay, and it's a couple of sentences. This doesn't need to be a treatise, but the point of this is to ensure that you are both on the same page. So you say something like, okay, I want to summarize what I'm hearing to make sure we're on the same page. Here's what I'm hearing from you. And you just briefly in a couple of sentences summarize what you think they're saying. Again, use their language, not legalese, not yours, use their language. And then ask them, do I have that correctly? And then they'll either say yes or they'll say no and they'll give you some more information. And then you take that and you resummarize, okay? Once they say yes, you've got it correctly, ask them, is there anything else you think I need to know or any gaps that you'd like to fill in? This is important to ensure that you're really truly both on the same page and you have enough knowledge you need to make an adequate decision as to whether you can help them and as to whether you want to help them. Because that leads us to your next step. After you've asked your questions, you've been a good detective, you summarize, you make sure you're on the same page, you've got to make an actual decision. This is where you make a first step decision as to can I help them? Am I the right person to help them? And do I want to take this particular new matter on? So here's the thing. You do not need to help everyone, nor can you. And sometimes it's better to refer things out, okay, whether it be to somebody in your firm or outside of it. So this is where you need to get super honest with yourself about what you can take on, whether you have the time for it, and also about any red flags that might be showing up based on the questions you've asked and the answers you've gotten. It is not worth taking on a new client or matter when there are big red flags at the outset. You know this. So this is where you got to get really honest with yourself about that. Now, if you've decided that you can't take it on or you don't want it for whatever reason, you need to tell them at this point. This is your thanks but no thanks, right? And it can be as simple as, you know what, as much as I'd love to help you, I'm not the right fit. Or I just do not have the bandwidth to take that on. 
Perhaps you have somebody you can refer them to. If you do, always do that. They will look on you much more kindly. And then refer them out, okay? Now, a couple of things I want to tell you because a lot of times we decide as lawyers that we have to take on the work, right? We are, it's, <laughs> I don't know what it is about us, but we always want to take in work when people want us to work on things, regardless of whether it makes sense for us, whether, regardless of whether it makes sense for them. And that is really not a good idea, all right? So I want you to get really honest with yourself ahead of time before you have these conversations with people about what are your boundaries around when you will and will not say yes to stuff and standards even. You know, what standards do you hold yourself up to? Is it something that you haven't done very often and so you're really not wanting to do it because you don't know, you haven't kept up with it? Or maybe is it a topic that you're really not that interested in and so you don't really want to do the work. Or perhaps you have boundaries around when you say yes or no to work when you're really busy, okay? So be very clear about that from the outset before you get into these conversations because it makes this step a whole lot easier. And let me just tell you, I said no. I'm, I, there are times where you need to say no. For example, I had a great client. In fact, this was my best client at the time who as a corporate finance attorney, we often got incredibly busy at the end of the year. Our busiest time of year was typically September through December. Sometimes it would even fall into the first couple of weeks of January, which made for not the best holiday season, but that's, you know, when everything needed to close. And there was one particular year that was just gangbusters. It was a huge year, and there was a lot of work that year, and the end of year was particularly crazy. And I had a lot of deals for several different clients. There were way too many going on. We were working late into the night. We worked most weekends. I mean, it was crazy, me and my team. And I knew there's just no way. Like, we were already having a hard enough time. There's nothing else I can take on. And the last week of November, my best client called me and said, Heather, we've got something. I know you're working on a lot for us. I'm sure you're working on a lot for other clients, but we really want you to do this. And it has to close by end of year giving me like, what, four, four and a half weeks to actually get it done, five weeks maybe, I couldn't do it. I just couldn't. There was no way. And I had to say no. And we're always afraid to say no, especially to our clients, especially to our good clients. But there is a way to do it that will garner respect. And so what I said was, look, I would love to help you. I wish I could help you. But I do not have the capacity, nor does my team. And I don't think anybody else here does either. I can check into it, but I don't think so. And I did check into it, and nobody else had capacity either. And, you know, he gave me kind of a long sigh when I said that, but he's like, you know, I respect that and very much appreciate it. And funny enough, that client became a much bigger client for me the next year. So do not make decisions out of fear. Because when you take that kind of stuff on, there are often mistakes, and that's when you mess up, and that's when you lose respect, and that's when you lose clients. So if you decide, okay, yeah, I can do this. I do want this. That's when you head into the next step. You make your offer, and you start selling. This is where the selling actually begins. We're like five steps in, and you're just starting to sell. But here's the thing. What you've done so far is kind of like selling. It's just not overtly. You're showing them who you are how you work, what you do, kind of your um, your style. And that's a soft way of selling, number one. Here's where you overtly sell. So after you summarize what you're hearing and you figure out you're on the same page, you make an offer. You tell them, yeah, I can help you. And I'd love to work with you. Here's how I see it going. So 
This is step the first part of making your offer. You do not get too specific about all the logistics. This is a mistake a lot of attorneys will make. We get so into the weeds and their eyes glaze over and they have no idea what you're talking about or they do but they could care less. They're not that interested in every single step you're going to take, right? Here's what you want to focus on. You want to focus on the goals and the outcomes that they want, the challenges that you know they're going to face based on what they've told you and what you know to be true in these situations, and the big picture, I repeat, big picture of how you'd navigate through all of this. Not every little single thing, but kind of the big picture, here's how I've dealt with this scenario, okay? So the point of this is to paint a picture of what it's like to work with you and what they're going to get from working with you. And yet again, use their language. Don't get too legalese. The other thing I would say is you want to be super honest about their outcome in respect of what they said they wanted. If they come to you on a litigation matter that you think will be difficult to win or that might not get them the exact outcome they want, you need to tell them. You need to be honest with them. You need to tell them how you counter that and why you still think it's worthwhile and be honest about it. But you need to be honest about the challenges ahead. They are going to appreciate this. This is also how to sell in a way that's very ethical and non-salesy or sleazy. So be honest, clear, and direct. Okay? Now, they may want to know about price here. You push that off. This is where you basically tell them the how, like how you perceive working together, kind of the big picture stuff. You're not getting into pricing just yet. And if they ask about it, say, you know what? We're going to get into that in a minute. But first, I want to make sure we're on the same page as far as what you'd want to get out of this and how I would go about doing it. The next step And this was one that is optional in some cases, but not others, is to gauge their interest and their commitment level, all right? So if this is a brand new client that you've never worked for, or even if it is somebody you've worked for and you know that this is going to be incredibly expensive or that there's a higher risk that the outcome isn't going to be exactly what they want, then I highly suggest that you make that clear. And you ask a question to determine how committed they really are. So as you've already talked to them about, you know, here's how I can help you. Here's what the challenges are. You've highlighted some of those challenges. Here's where you just kind of re-highlight them again. And you basically say, so given all of that, how committed are you? Like, do you really want to move forward? And, you know, tell me on a scale of 1 to 10. 1 being not at all. 10 being yes, no matter what, I'm all in. Don't care. And figure out where they really are, okay? I highly recommend that you never take anything that isn't at least a seven. And even at a seven, you're going to want to ask questions, okay? So I will say you don't just take their answer. So I've had clients, I do this when I talk to new potential clients who will say a five or a six, and I'll say, okay, well, that's interesting. Why is it so low given that? And I'll give them, you know, their language back as to why they said, They really wanted what they claimed they wanted. And sometimes it pushes them to go, okay, I'm just fearful. It's really an eight or whatever. So you want to go back and ask questions if it's anything less than an eight so that you can determine where they really are and why. Um, And this is also potentially going to raise some red flags. So if you previously had decided, yeah, I think I could help them. I'd like to work with them. I'm making an offer. And they come back to you with a, well, it's a six. This is where you get really honest. If, if, if this is really a six, I can't help you because here and here's why. Okay. So this is another step for you to get off of the train 
if you see some red flags based on their answers. And it's why I highly recommend that you go through this step if they are, especially if they're a new client or if it's a particularly difficult matter that they're bringing to you. Okay, so next, after you go through that, let's say they're super committed, no red flags, you want to keep going forward, they're kind of interested in going forward, this is where you ask, what questions do you have? And you just get quiet and let them ask their questions. Now, note, to this point, there has not been any discussion about your fees or rates. And that's pretty much on purpose, right? You need to figure out all the above before you even get there. Oftentimes, we jump into fees and rates too soon. And so this is why if fees and rates come up before this point, you push it off and say, we will get to that. But first, let's make sure we're on the same page before we even go there because there's no point in going there if we're not on the same page and it's not something I can help you with. So at this point, they may very well ask about your fees and rates. And probably it's going to be one of the first questions they ask. I actually recommend you still push it off and say, look, I am about to tell you that, I promise, but first, let's make sure there are no other questions that you have because some of the questions you ask may lead us down a different path that could change that, okay? So you're not trying to skirt the issue. This is not a sleazy way of getting out of having to tell them what your fees are because you're about to get to that. But you want to make sure that you've answered every question they have and that you understand where they're really coming from before you get to that because it's hard to go back. If you say something and then find out later on there's more to it and you need to charge more or fees that you've already discussed are going to be more than what were discussed. So that's why I say push it off but in a good ethical nice way and explain why. So you listen to their questions here. You answer them honestly and once all of that is done, assuming you still want their business, you proactively ask for it. So before you kind of made an offer, yes, here's how I can help you. Here's what I see. Here's how I see us working. This is where you just say, hey, I want to work together. I would love to help you achieve what you want. You you use their language again, right? I would love to help you whatever it is they were saying they wanted to get for their outcome. And if that's amenable to you, here's what our next steps would be. And then you get into what your next steps are within your process and you get into your fees and pricing. So Before you go into these conversations, you need to make sure you have a very clear intake process, number one, and you need to tell them here what to expect and how you're going to charge for this type of matter. So that's what this is. And it could be something like, if you choose to move forward, if you say yes today, I'm going to send you an engagement letter to set forth the terms of our relationship and I'm going to bill you for our retainer because you're a new client, I need a $10,000 retainer. Once you've signed the engagement letter and the retainer is received, we can get started. And then you also want to go into how billing and payment works moving forward given the retainer. There are different ways people do that, so you're going to want to address it. Or maybe this is a new matter for a client and you just say, hey, I know we've worked together before, but given that this is a new matter, I'm going to send you an engagement letter that sets forth the terms of our relationship. You'll receive it today. Once signed, we can get started. With respect to fees and expenses, my hourly rate is currently at $8.50 an hour, and the other attorneys' paralegals on my team bill between $3.50 and $500 an hour. I typically will bill monthly, as we have in the past, and we expect payment within 30 to 60 days of billing. Something to that effect, okay? This is where you just very briefly, in a quick little paragraph, tell them what to expect, what the next steps are, and how you're going to charge for it. Now, you might have project or flat fee billing. You might be billing by the hour, whatever it is. You want to very clearly tell them what it is. 
when it comes to talking about money, talking about pricing fees, etc., there's a couple of things you need to keep in mind. Number one, do not over-explain. What I just said on these other, um, in these scenarios, something like that is satisfactory, okay? Do not over-explain. It makes you come across as though you are not standing fully behind the fees, you feel bad about your fees, and it opens them up for, number one, to negotiate them when you don't want it, and number two, to also lose some trust in you, okay? So very clearly, know what they are ahead of time and just put them out there. Do not mumble either. Don't like apologize for it or act as though you're, you know, not worth it. This is where I said at the very beginning, you need to be able to get behind what it is you're charging, what it is they're giving up in return for your services or in return for buying into whatever it is they're buying into. If you're fully behind it, you should be able to explain it. So be prepared. And this is the one area where you can kind of have a script. Um, Most people, at least most of my clients, not all of them, most of them have very clear um, either project-based billing for very specific types of matters and then hourly billing for most other things. So be prepared for that and practice it a little bit so that you don't sound like you're not behind what you're charging and be very direct and very concise. In the examples I gave you, I was direct, concise, quick, didn't over-explain, boom, that's it. And as soon as you go through it, get quiet. Let them tell you what's next. Either they're going to say, I need to think about it, or, you know, I don't know that I really need to move forward after all, or yes, I'm ready. I'm ready now. And based on what they say to you, that creates your follow-up. So if they said yes, you do what you said you'd do, right? You follow your intake procedures, you send them an engagement letter, you bill them or whatever it is that you're doing, and you move forward. If they said no, If they just say no outright, which is actually somewhat rare, most people aren't going to say it to your face immediately. They say, I need to think about it, even when they mean no. You might want to ask, okay, great, I understand. Do you mind telling me what's going on? Because if it sounded like something they were really excited about, you can even say, you sounded really excited about this. What is it that's holding you back? This is good intel for you. And a lot of times, no isn't 100% no. It might be around cost or and maybe they don't understand something. So this opens it up a little bit for you. And then if they say, I'd like to think about it, you've got a couple of choices. First, you could dig deeper. So understand that most people who say they need to think about it already know the answer. They're either a no or they're a no for you. And there's a reason behind it, right? Either they don't understand something, they've misunderstood, or maybe it's a cost issue. So you may want to dig a little bit deeper and say something to the effect of, I understand why you'd want to think about it. I would too in this scenario. But I also know that oftentimes when people say they need to think about it, it's because they're not very clear. So what questions or concerns do you have around what I've been talking about? Like dig a little bit deeper and see if they will tell you what's going on within them to ensure that you can answer their questions, okay? And then maybe they'll come back to you and say, that's just a little more expensive than I thought. I'm not sure that you're the right firm for me. And you can address it if you want. This just gives you an opening to figure out, well, is this something that I can deal with? Or is it just a, you know what, I'm not the right fit. Okay, the other option you have is to just let them go and follow up via email or on another date. So again, you would say, I understand why you'd want to think about this. Now, understand that if they say they want to think about it, the first words out of your mouth need to be, I understand why you'd want to think about this. 
I would too in this situation. Something to that effect. You want to get on the same playing field. You want to you know, make them not feel bad. There's psychology behind that. So definitely say that in either scenario, whether you're digging deeper or letting them go. And then you could say something like, okay, before I let you go, do you have any final questions? And then answer any that they have. And then say, okay, I like to follow up. I will be following up with you in three days, a week, whatever makes sense based on the matter that they came to you with to ensure you still don't have any questions and just to get a gauge on what you're thinking at that time. The other option you have is to try to schedule another time to chat. I will tell you a lot of people won't do that unless they're actual clients or they know you well, but that is an option to say, hey, um, I'm going to give you a week to think about it. How about we go ahead and schedule 15 minutes to chat just to make sure, you know, you don't have any other questions and so I can get a follow-up on what you're thinking, okay? And that is it. That's it. That's your outline for very easy sales conversations when somebody calls you up or tells you in person that they may want to hire you. Now, how do you utilize this and the psychology behind this? When you're doing something more formal, like a formal sales pitch, which a lot of us have to deal with, right, Um, when we're looking for new business. So at the end of the day, when it comes to formal sales pitches, there's a couple of things that you want to keep in mind. That what they're really looking for is for you to solve a current problem and anticipate or avoid future risk, just like with anybody else, right? I would also say, and this comes into play in any conversation, you're more of an illegal advisor, You're expected to understand their business so that you can foresee potential challenges and pitfalls, okay? So always keep that in mind when you're pitching anyone, regardless of whether it's in a sales conversation like what I just outlined or a formal pitch. And I would say this, for formal pitches, that's especially the case. You are more than a legal advisor. So the other thing is you want to make sure that you understand their expectations. Make sure you know what it is they really want and expect of you. And what that means is that you must be a detective and do your research. So we talked about in the sales conversation, you have to be a detective. Well, when you're preparing for a formal sales pitch, you must be a detective as well. And that means before responding to any request, you need to ask questions if you can. You need to identify potential issues and challenges and when and how you've dealt with similar circumstances. You need to know their business very specifically and also their industry. And if you don't fully know it, then you need to research it and find people who do. What this also means is that it's very important that you include people who would understand their business, their industry, and their challenges within this process itself. And I am not talking about just including their CV within the pitch materials. You need to use them as a resource. They need to become more involved. I know a lot of attorneys don't do that, so do it. Because if you don't, you're not going to have a clear understanding of what it is they want and need, and you're not going to get the work. So your pitch is your offer, okay? It must address their needs. It needs to foresee potential challenges that are relevant. And you need to tell them how you navigate through it all. So what that means is do not be generic. Get specific. Address their real needs plus anything you know that are likely to come up. Offer insights and suggestions that they might not be aware of yet based on legal, political, or economic changes. And be clear, direct, and very brief, okay? They do not want a treatise, but a concise description around what you bring to the table. Now, 
sometimes in our pitches, they start with just an electronic process before you go in person, or sometimes it's never in person, and that's a little harder. But you got to get creative and find ways to do this within the context that they provided, okay? And the other thing I would say is no matter what, do not go after work that you and or your firm do not have relevant experience in. Just don't do it. Okay, a few other tips to think about when giving a formal pitch. First, focus on the benefits you're going to provide and how and why you're different. So what do you and your firm bring to the table that others don't or might not? Storytelling can be very powerful, especially if you do an in-person pitch here where you tell stories about similar scenarios that you've dealt with and how you got around and navigated through the challenges, that is a really effective way. Sometimes you can get that in writing as well, depending on what, you know, how you're pitching and what they're requiring. But when it comes to in-person, it's very effective. Secondly, don't get too bogged down in what each person's CV looks like. Now, yes, they need to look professional. They need to look relevant. And people do look at them. But I will tell you now that they're going to pay a lot more attention to how you frame the issues The other thing I would say is don't ignore the pricing and fees portion. This is becoming more and more important, as you likely know. So be clear and back up why you charge what you do. If you're delivering it online, do it in the exact format that was requested. That kind of goes without saying, but just be sure that you know and understand what it is they want so that you can provide it. And when presenting an in-person pitch, pay attention to their body language and take questions as you go. So I would say when you're in person and you're pitching somebody, do not be afraid to change things based on what you see and hear from them as you're in there. Treat them as though you're already, you know, working with them and you're just having a meeting to discuss it, like you're telling them their ideas and getting feedback. You want to make sure you have a good read of the room, you're really paying attention, and you change as you go. It's going to show them how you work and what it's like to work with you. And it's going to impress them a lot more than just sticking to the script. All right, so that is it. That is the framework for having a sales conversation and then also how to utilize it within an actual sales pitch scenario, a more formal pitch. Hopefully, this is going to help you feel a lot better about selling, to give you confidence when selling, and to help you also weed out the work that you don't want in a more effective manner. So be sure that you use it. Don't forget before you go to go back and have a listen to episode 12, which is all about how to put together a simple legal marketing and business development plan, and then also to download the Client Development Blueprint. The Client Development Blueprint is kind of my step-by-step guide on how to increase your business without burning out, and really in a very simplified manner. And in a way that targets in on the right strategies for you that will motivate you, that you feel good about, and that you can be consistent with. Because consistency is definitely key when it comes to business development. That's it for today. I will see you next week. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to the Life & Law Podcast. If you enjoyed this week's episode and aren't yet a subscriber, be sure to hit the subscribe button so that you don't miss an episode. For show notes and free resources to help you succeed in both life and law, including the Life & Law Roadmap, visit lifeandlawpodcast.com.